Hello, and welcome back to Palaver, a BMX podcast with Chris Doyle. Do you notice that I said Palaver instead of Palaver? A dude hit me up recently and was like, once again, said, hey, Chris, I like the podcast. However, or he said, but dot, dot, dot. And then he sent me this link to how to say palaver correctly. Um, to me, seemed kind of like a, a smug move, but thanks, buddy. So there you go. Um, you know, the word palaver never really meant much to me. It wasn't even a part of my vocabulary until I was starting this podcast. Originally, I was going to call the podcast Dialogues, BMX Stories with Chris Doyle. But there are so many podcasts already called Dialogues. And then I was going to call it Doyologues. <laughs> um, but I decided against that too. So I hit the thesaurus and I was just looking up words that meant to talk, to speak. And somehow I came across palaver. And just, uh, I liked the way the word, is it weird that I liked the way the word looked? <laughs> um, and I was like, I could probably do something with that. Not really thinking about how to say it correctly. So, um, thanks again to that guy for sending me that link. I'm glad I can get that all straightened out now. I hope everybody had a good Memorial Day. Um, I spent the weekend fishing. <laughs> uh, I wish I could say that I was I was riding a lot of BMX or or something like that, but uh, no, I was fishing, and uh, it was good. It was relaxing. It's pretty chill. So um, starting very soon, I am starting my career in real estate. I am going to be a real estate agent, and. I think a lot of people have already known that. I've had my license for uh, actually a number of years now. Uh, I've put it in referral for a long time, which is basically like putting the, the license on hold. Um, but you can still make referrals to other agents and uh, be entitled to some compensation. But uh, I'm going to start working in real estate here in Pittsburgh. And the Cummings brothers are going to be my mentors through the early stages of my real estate career. Uh, Justin and Steve Cummings are real estate agents here in Pittsburgh, and they used to be push locals for those of you guys that don't know them. So they've, uh, they're taking me under their wing, starting a new career. I'm sure it's going to be just as fun as riding a bike for a living. So I look forward to that. <laughs> but no, honestly, I'm excited about it. Nervous and excited. But what's been going on out there? I don't know how each state is handling getting back to quote unquote normal. But uh, here in Pennsylvania, we are about a week away from moving into the green. We've gone from being totally in red, which is, you know, stay at home, don't go outside, don't interact with other people, keep the six foot distance if you do, blah, blah, blah. Then we went to yellow, which is where we're at right now. And then apparently next week we're going to green. And uh, I guess I can get a haircut. 
and go and ride some uh, skate parks, even though I have been riding skate parks here and there. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that, getting back to normal, whatever normal is, and uh, starting a new career, lots of changes. Still going to be riding quite a bit, still going to try and stay involved as much as possible, still going to continue the podcast, and uh, you know, continue to try to put out content that I think people are into. Here's something that I was excited about. Did everybody see the Supreme S&M dirt bike collaboration? It was the 1995 S&M dirt bike. Dude, that bike looks so sick, right? I remember friends that I had in 1995 that had that bike that, uh, I used to sweat really hard and not even theirs looked as good as this current one that just came out um, to my my mid-90s eyes as a kid. The bike looks so sick, right? And I was cruising through uh, eBay <laughs> the other day and I saw two of these dirt bikes, these Supreme dirt bikes, for around $6,000. I saw one for $9,000. I really hope my stimulus check is uh, is a big one this time around. <laughs> oh man, um, no, but the bike is sick, right? And I don't know much about Supreme as a brand. I know that Supreme is the you know the New York City sneakerhead brand. They're very big in skateboarding. Uh, they put out that video Cherry a few years ago, which was sick. That skate video. Um. But that's about all I know. They, they sponsor a couple skaters, um, and they're real big in the, the New York City fashion scene. Is that right? I don't know. I'm not going to claim to know a lot about Supreme, but they've done a couple collaborations in the past, and I guess the, all their collabs have been really cool. So they teamed up, Supreme teamed up with S&M and put out the 95 Dirt Bike Supreme. Bike sick. And... I was, uh, being that I'm from the mid-school era, I was really excited to see how they were going to market it and how they were going to promote it. And I didn't really see a lot of promotion or marketing, but uh, therefore I was excited to start seeing videos or start seeing some pictures of it. And the first picture I see, and you know where I'm going with this, <laughs> I see that dude, the... Um, I don't have the picture in front of me, but I'm going to try to describe the guy. If you haven't seen this picture, I'm going to try to describe this guy uh, based on my memory. And I think it's pretty good. Um, from the ground up, he's rocking some Nike Dunks, sweatpants. He's got a Supreme shirt on with a vest. He's rocking a beard, of course. And he's got his glasses on the top of his head. And I apologize to anyone that gets offended by this, but I can't stand when people put their sunglasses on the top of their head or on the top of their hats. Again, a lot of people do it. You don't even think about it. But when I see people do that, I'm like, oh, it's just a weird, weird deal that it just, 
I don't want to say it, I hate it, but it's just one of those things that I'm like, it's like a pet peeve. When I see someone put their glasses on the top of their head, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> um, so don't hate me for that. But so he's got the glasses on the top of his head. He's throwing the shocker. Do you know what the shocker is? It's an extended pointer finger. <laughs> sorry, pointed pointer finger, middle finger, and pinky finger. And the ring finger is held back by the thumb, throwing the shocker. You know what I'm saying? Two in the pink, one in the stink. Shocker. <laughs> He's throwing that hand gesture. And the icing on the cake <laughs> is when Captain Sweatpants built the bike, he put the forks on backwards. <laughs> Which, if, uh, if you're from the mid-school era, you probably know kids that uh, you know, they got a bike for Christmas or something. Their dad built it the night before. And a lot of times they'd put those forks on backwards. This guy put the forks on backwards on his 95 Supreme S&M dirt bike. <laughs> I saw that picture and I was kind of like embarrassed for S&M and for Moeller a little bit because I'm such a huge uh, Chris Moeller and S&M fan and I think a lot of my listeners are as well I still am um, but I was kind of embarrassed for them but at the same time I was kind of like excited I was like oh that's really funny so I was having a good laugh at the same time I was embarrassed so it was like awesome yet shitty <laughs> yet awesome again <laughs> and I think Moeller even put up a caption that uh, I'm glad to see that these bikes are going to the hardcores, which has, I think, since been deleted from his Instagram. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I was such a huge fan of, of s and I was kind of like a little bit embarrassed. So uh, yeah, Captain Sweatpants got the Supreme dirt bike. And uh, I really, I hope that uh, that Moeller and s and got a big chunk of money for it because you know whatever money uh they got for this collab you know moeller's going to put it right back into his brands put it right back into bmx so good for them right because he you know he's going to do something you know for bmx with this money um but couldn't they have just marketed it a little bit better like given it a little bit more thought you know think about the riders that have come out of new york city that could have really like pushed this bike. Not that they, not that Supreme needs anyone to push anything, but it would have been really cool, you know, throw some money at Edwin De La Rosa and have him just ripping through Brooklyn on it. Or maybe even Nigel, you know, New York City kid, good looking kid, looks good on a bike, uh, can ride a bike, um, good style. Have him just rip it up for, you know, a day, film it and everything. That'd be sick, right? But no, Captain Sweatpants is what we get. <laughs> I think I saw one other photo of another guy uh, ramping it, and he looks just as I don't I don't want to say just as bad, but he looks pretty bad too. Um, so my brain works in in crazy ways, as I'm sure a lot of you as, as well. I like to paint these little scenarios, and then like trying to ask, I kind of ask myself what I would do in in this scenario that I've created in my mind. Imagine you see that guy the guy that I'm talking about, Captain Sweatpants, imagine you see him riding down the road on that bike 
on the 95 dirt bike. Actually, let me back up a little bit more. Imagine you've been in BMX since the early 90s. You've been around for a long time. You remember the 95 dirt bike. You're excited about that Supreme collab. And then you see that guy riding down the street. Or imagine you see that photo being taken. The shocker. Then imagine you, kind of, you follow the guy. And he pops into a convenience store to get an oversized monster energy drink. Because you know that's what he drinks. He goes in, he leaves the bike outside. And you pull into that convenience store. Would you steal that dude's bike? Would you steal that bike? Just <laughs> based on what you just saw, that photo being taken, that beautiful bike. You've been in the game for a long time. Would you take it? Now I'm going to put this out there. I'm not a piece of shit. I would never steal someone's bike. I've had bikes stolen. Most of my listeners have probably had bikes stolen. It sucks. But we're BMXers. So you steal our bike, you steal a piece of us, right? You steal this guy's bike, Mr. Sweatpants. You steal his bike. Are you stealing a piece of him? Probably not. Now I wouldn't steal it because I know myself. But in that instance, I would give it a lot of thought. <laughs> I'm curious as to what you would do. Would you take it? I know some of my listeners, they'd be like, fuck yeah, I'd take that bike. Screw that guy. <laughs> Imagine if you stole that bike and you loaded it up in your car or your truck or something, and then you waited for him to come outside just so you could see the look on his face. Don't know what happened to my bike. <laughs> Imagine that, and then you do a big burnout. And you say, fuck you, sweatpants. <laughs> and then you throw the shocker out the window. There's your shocker, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. See, the <laughs> see, that's the way my mind works. You're probably thinking right now, God, I wish I had the last nine minutes of my life back. <laughs> but I don't know. These are the scenarios that I, that I paint in my head. And then I try to determine how what I would do in these situations. But I probably wouldn't steal the bike. A lot of you would. Um, it sucks when you get a bike stolen though. Um, but really does that guy doesn't deserve that bike. <laughs> um, I need to do a little CYA on this. Um, I'm not making fun of this guy. I'm not making fun. I'm merely, uh, having fun with some different observations and some different scenarios that I've made in my mind. And I'm doing this, this, uh, CYA cover your ass, uh, because I'm the type of person that this will come back at me someday. Like, uh, this dude's, uh, here's another scenario <laughs> of, of something that would happen to me if I was making fun of this guy, I would get an email someday and it'd be from like the guy's brother. Like, Hey man, that was my brother. Uh, he looks a lot older than he is. He's only 14. He's got a pituitary gland problem. And, uh, you know, he, he aged a lot faster. He doesn't have a lot of time on this earth. And, uh, you know, we teamed up with the Make-A-Wish Foundation to get him that bike because he really said he, he wanted the Supreme bike. That's all he wanted. And, uh, you know, there you are making fun of him, Chris. I loved you in Wide Awake Nightmare, but fuck you, bro. <laughs> That's what would happen to me. And then I'd feel like a dick. So I'm going to end the uh, discussion about the, I don't want to call it a discussion, but I'll end my little rant about the Supreme 
SNM Dirt Bike 95 edition uh, by saying, congrats on your new bike, buddy. Or congrats to everyone that scored the Supreme 1995 Dirt Bike. You got a great bike there. Congrats. Did everybody see the, see the Fiend video? Dude, that Fiend video is sick. It's like a 15-minute, uh, it almost seemed kind of like a promo video, but um, like some guys have full parts. Uh, some guys just have uh, guest clips here and there. But dude, talk about, you know, these guys are on the cutting edge of, of street riding. And uh, I mean, street riding is what's hot right now, right? And uh, of course, Garrett Reynolds will melt your brain with the stuff that he does in his part. It's, uh, you know, from the first clip to the last, you're just like jaw on the floor, right? Um, but that's what you come to expect from Garrett Reynolds. Am I right? Like he's so far ahead. It's, it, well, seemingly from, from my perspective, he's so far ahead of everybody else that, uh, and he continues to progress. He continues to push the sport, um, and just obviously one of the best bike riders in the world, hands down, and just natural ability, just oozing out of him. And he's that dude that'll put up a clip on Instagram. Where he's like, oh, I haven't ridden in a while. Been been kind of injured. Just it felt good to get out and uh, have a cruise and post up a clip of like the craziest thing you've ever seen. So, speaking of the Fiend video, the um, the opener, Colin Verniak. The um, man, how do I describe this part? Probably the best vibe of a video part that I've seen in a very long time. It's edited to I'm on fire by Bruce Springsteen. Dude, so sick. Um, the writing, the editing, the music of that part just all came together so perfectly. And it just created this vibe to where you, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how better to describe. It's just probably the best video part I've seen all year. Um, and that's, uh, right now that's my front runner for Nora cup video part of the year. Uh, I just think that that video part as a whole was like one of the best ones that I've seen, maybe even in the last five years. Can I put that out there? That was a sick video part. So congrats, Colin Verniak. Um, amazing part. And I actually, I hit uh, Colin up to tell him how much I liked it and I appreciated it. So, um, yeah, right on. Go, go watch the fiend video. Go buy a fiend. Uh, I don't have any sponsors for this podcast, so I'll plug whoever I want. <laughs> um, I mean, and it's, I'm not a street rider, not by any stretch of the imagination. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I've seen you do some stuff on street, Chris, but no, I'm not a street rider. I know the basics. I can do the double peg, the ice pick, the manual. Sometimes I can combine those things, but for the most part, I'm not a street rider. Um, I've been on trips before where we're riding a lot of street and I'm like, okay, I only know the basics. So how can I take a basic trick and make it, you know, film worthy or a picture or picture worthy. So I'll have to find like, uh, 
often get either really creative or really brave. And I can't tell you how many times I've stood at the top of a flight of stairs and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing up here? <laughs> so a lot of times I had to get brave. I'm not very creative, so I had to get brave a lot of times. Because that's the only place that the, uh, the basics look impressive, right? So, and I'd be on these trips and whatever brand I was riding for flew me across the country, across the world. You're expected to get clips for whatever video project you're working on. You're supposed to get uh, pictures for whatever magazine article it is. And you feel that pressure. You're like, okay, I need something. I need something. And then you just send yourself, send myself down a flight of stairs or something like that. Ah, man, I'm getting stressed out just thinking about it. I'm glad that I don't have to do that anymore because I think I added a lot of stress to uh, to my friends as well, like them standing at the bottom of the stairs like, what is Chris doing up there? But you know what? A lot of times things worked out. A lot of times I did get a good clip or I got a good picture and it was always rewarding. That felt good, but it was always terrifying. And even Jay Rowe, my kink team manager, um... <laughs> would say to me like dude you don't have to do this stuff you don't have to do this like you could just do turndowns at the trails we'll be f we'll be satisfied and i'm just like no man no I, I i gotta do this i gotta do this oh i'm very glad i don't have to do that anymore <laughs> oh man what was i talking about fiend video street riding yeah good, uh, good for those guys those guys uh crushed it with that one um has everyone noticed also the uh big break comeback Seems like a lot of pros are riding brakes again. Chase Hawk, uh, Corey Martinez. I saw that uh, Tyler Fernengel was running brakes again. I think he took his back off. Took his brakes back off though. I don't know. But is it's weird how these guys just get better no matter what they do. Like Chase got better when he took his brakes off. Like I remember seeing him at the um, what was it the CFB in uh, Oklahoma City. He had just taken his brakes off and he was somehow better. And you always expect that when people take brakes off or something, they're, they're gonna you know, lose something. But no, he got better. Dennis Anderson, when he took his brakes off, got better somehow. And then when Chase put his brakes back on, he got even better. So it's like, no matter what these guys do, they just get better. And I, it's hard to explain, right? Kind of twist my brain in a knot, but like these dudes are just, I don't know, they're so good. If I take my brakes off, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think I'll lose, you know, half of my confidence for sure. A couple tricks. I remember going out to, um, I went out to California a few years ago and uh, Daryl taught, I, I was staying at the kink house and Daryl Taco and a couple of other guys had just come back from San Diego and they were riding down there and Daryl had been brakeless for a couple days and he, he'd come back to the house and he put his brakes back on immediately. And I'm like, what's up with that? He's like, oh yeah, we, we were riding some parks today. So I'm putting my brakes back on. I'm like, you didn't like being brakeless? He goes, dude, today was the worst day of my life. <laughs> I couldn't do anything, but, uh, so I, I, th I feel like I'd be the same way as, as Daryl. Like, I don't think I'd have any confidence. I'd lose the tricks. So, uh, yeah, good for those dudes. To, you know, they just continually get better. Like Martinez, the stuff he's doing with his brakes, 
It's awesome. It, and I like the way, a, personally, I like the way a bike looks with brakes. So, like, now seeing these guys put their brakes back on, I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they actually, like, they even look better now to me. You know, I know that, uh, I don't know what popular opinion is amongst my listeners, but, uh, but yeah, right on. What else? What else is going on out there? Remember a time when you thought that 30 was old? And I'm saying that, thinking that most of my listeners are probably late 20s, 30s, possibly even 40s. But remember when you thought 30 was old? Especially for a BMXer, because uh, being that BMX is such a young sport, you just kind of attribute it to a, a young man's game, which I guess it technically is. But anytime a rider was approaching 30, you're like, oh my God, that rider's going to be 30 years old. And you thought that was old? Well, I was of that same mentality, and I'm 39 years old now. I'm going to be 40 next year. still have a year to live it up in my 30s. But now there's so many pro bike riders in their 30s. I kind of wonder what the mentality is a little bit. Um, I noticed like Ty Morrow just turned 30 years old, and... You know, soon enough, Garrett Reynolds and Dennis Anderson are going to be 30 as well. And, and those, those guys are some of my, my favorite riders. They're some of the best riders in the world. Um, so I always wonder what the mentality's like. And when I was in my mid-20s, I had the very... Well, actually, uh, ever since I started riding professionally and doing contests, I was in a lot of contests with Brian Foster, my favorite bike rider of all time. And Brian Foster is probably the best dude to share a role in with, um, to be on the deck of a ramp with. Um, he's just super lighthearted, funny, easygoing, could make like a stressful contest uh, just way more fun. Case in point, at the 2002 X Games, I had blown my first run in qualifying. And most contests, the X Games included, you got uh, three runs in dirt, and they would take your two best runs for the average to see if you go on to the finals or whatever, or what your overall score would be. And I blew my first run. I crashed, meaning the pressure was on. I had to lay down two good runs. And so I crashed my first run, and I'm on the deck of the ramp. I'm the next guy to go. Chuck D standing there with his hand up, uh, you know, waiting to wave me in for my run. I'm sitting there and I'm stressing out, thinking to myself, my God, I got to get two good runs to get me into the finals. A lot of pressure, right? And out of the corner of my eye, I see Brian Foster pushing his bike up the roll-in and he locks eyes with me <laughs> and he just goes, back against the wall, Doyle. <laughs> and it's funny because that's kind of like a dick move, but it's Brian Foster. So I had to laugh and totally like made the situation funny made it uh, lighthearted, um, and sure enough, I laid down two good runs after that. But afterwards, I was like, dude, I can't believe you said that to me. He's like, oh, I was just having fun with you. So Brian Foster is one of the best guys to share the deck of a roll-in with, and uh, Brian's about 10 years older than me, and I remember Brian, Brian in his 30s, when he would do well at contests, he would say this thing to me, uh, which he probably said a lot more uh, than I can remember, but he would say something to me. 
which I didn't really get until I was in my 30s. Here's what he would say. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. At the elevation contest in Whistler, the Red Bull elevation contest, uh, BF got third place. He's probably in his mid-30s at this point, maybe even his late 30s. And he was the only guy that could 360 the last jump. And the course at elevation was always the best. And the last set was always terrifying. The last set was like this. It was like hitting a seven foot street spine, but trying to travel 30 feet in distance. It was terrifying. So you had to do this weird sucking buck. And I threed it a couple times real bad, like scary bad. Nyquist couldn't really 360 it. Corey Bowen really couldn't 360 it. And these are like, you know, guys that have the 360 mastered. So, oh, for some reason, Jed Milden could three it really well. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that popped in there. But Brian Foster was the only guy that could really three it and do tricks. So he's doing the three one-handed flatty, the three one-footed flatty, just three tables, just every other run, looking really, really good. And he gets a podium. He gets third place. He's in his late 30s. And I remember him holding his trophy. And he says to me, and this is the quote I'm talking about. He goes, man, that podium just bought me two more years. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I can, I can be pro for two more years now. That podium just bought me that time. And I was like, huh, I, I didn't really get that because I'm in my mid-20s. I'm still a hot shot. I still think I have plenty of time left. And then even um, maybe a few years later, a few years after that, um, it's probably two years later, uh, we're at the Nike pool contest over in England. And BF wins best trick. And again, he gets his, his best trick medal. And he goes, that just bought me two more years. So I, I was like, come on, BF, you're going to be around forever. Everyone loves you. You're the most liked guy here. You're super good uh, at the contest. You get the coverage. And he's just like, no, nah, I, I got about two more years left. So after I turned 30, I started to kind of think that way. I started to kind of adopt that mentality where I was like, I wonder how much time I have left to be doing this professionally. And I'm wondering if other 30 year olds that are pro now are thinking like that. Um, in 2015, I got third place at the X Games in dirt. And at this point, I was already, I, I could see the credits rolling. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a lot of time left as a professional. Who... Who's really going to want to see a guy in his mid-30s doing turndowns and just trying to hang in there? But I got a podium at this contest. I got third place. And I remember saying, I forget who I said it to, but I remember saying, I think this just bought me two more years. You see what I'm saying here? I'm, I'm just wondering if the mentality is 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 of that, if, if people still think like that. Like, are people now putting out like crazy edits and they're like, okay, I think this bought me a little bit more time or is, or is BMX so disposable now that, you know, there is no timeline anymore where it's just like, well, you're only as good as the last thing you did. So, you know, you better be putting out your best content at all times. I just don't know. That's just a thought I had just, uh, again, just talking out of my ass. But man, it's fun thinking back on those Whistler contests, the elevation contests. Man, Red Bull would go above and beyond and really treat all the invited riders the way that I think most professional athletes get treated. And just being in that village and 
the, the, in, the entire weekend was great. And anyone that had the opportunity to go to one of those, you know what I'm talking about. That year that I'm talking about when, when BF got the third place, when he was the only guy that could 360 the last set. Um, the day after the contest, we were still hanging around the village, just, uh, you know, eating good food and just uh, riding a little skate park over there. And a dude from Red Bull comes up to us and he's like, hey, if you guys want to do some downhill mountain biking today, uh, I can get you guys some bikes. I'll get you free lift tickets. And we're all like, woo, let's do this. So uh, the crew is kind of weird. It was me, Alan Cook, Aaron Ross, Walter Perringer, um, Ryan Devereaux, uh, Matt Rowe was with us. Um, then Alan Cook's buddy Jeff was with us. And uh, so, yeah, we get, we get these full suspension mountain bikes and we start bombing the mountain. And of course, Alan Cook is a really, really, really good mountain biker. In fact, I think he was a... Uh, a mountain biker before he was a BMXer and he was really good at both. And I think it just kind of came down to whoever was going to offer him a pro deal first, whether it was going to be a mountain bike brand or a BMX brand, the BMX brand offered him a pro deal. So he took it and then he was a pro BMXer, but he had always been just a really, really good mountain biker. Um, in fact, he, Alan's good on anything with two wheels, road cycling, mountain biking, BMX dude can do it all. Oh, and uh, motocross as well. I, he's, backflipped like a 70 foot uh set of doubles on a dirt bike the dude is bad okay so of course he was the best and he's like leading us down the mountain he's going really fast he's hitting all the jumps but surprisingly aaron ross was really good at it too aaron ross was doing everything that alan was doing and and aaron's like uh yeah aaron ross is like dude this is the first time i've ridden a mountain bike he was just like automatically good i think aaron's just like uh, a naturally gifted athlete. He can just step to anything and he's just automatically good at it. So, um, the day ended, <laughs> we're going, we're flying down this hill, going around a slippery turn with no berm. And of course, Alan Cook, who was probably like 30 yards ahead of us, washes out, hits his face on a rock. We're, we're wearing open, we're wearing like the protect style helmets, smashes his face on a rock, knocks his tooth down his throat, gets knocked out and uh <laughs> we had to get him to the medic get him to the little hospital there and uh yeah he had a concussion but uh, overall he was okay but he was missing a tooth uh for the remainder of that year <laughs> but uh yeah those whistler contests were the best and brian foster is the best <laughs> so um gosh what was i even talking about i was talking that about that over 30s mentality I wonder if it's still the same. I don't know. I uh, I hope, you know, dudes have some longevity in the sport, but it's got to be nerve-wracking out there nowadays. It seems like you're only as good as the last thing that you did. Now, here's something that I wanted to share with you guys. And I don't want to make this podcast like my personal blog or something like that. And I told everybody on the first solo podcast that I did that I needed to find some sort of balance between not constantly thinking about my heart condition, but having reminders in the back of my mind to where I can say to myself, and the Northeast bad boys are going to like this, I can say to myself, motherfucker, you're lucky to be here. <laughs> that was for them. But So I needed to find this balance, and I, I am sometimes reminded about my heart condition by a lot of outside sources. But I recently got this uh, direct message from a woman 
out in Albuquerque. And I'm going to read you the direct message, but attached to the message was a picture of a letter that uh, was sent to her boyfriend from the University of New Mexico Hospital. So here's, here's what the message says. He says it, she says, Hello, I thought I'd share something special with you. My boyfriend was the firefighter paramedic on your cardiac arrest. Two days ago, he found a letter in a box of quote-unquote old stuff and showed me an interview of you after the accident. I was, sorry, I was very touched by this in his response. Last night, he put the letter on the fridge to remind him of why he goes to work every day and the purpose he serves even when times are tough. We are both first responders, and one of the most difficult things about the job is not knowing what happens to the patient when the call ends. I just wanted you to know it's cases such as yours that keep us going. Hope all is well. Thanks. So I get this direct message and yeah, I, man, it gets me choked up just reading. I've read it probably a dozen times, but it still gets me. So the letter that she's referring to was this letter that came from the University of New Mexico Hospital. And this talks about the procedure that was done um, when I was in the hospital once the paramedics got me to said hospital. It says, thank you for giving us the opportunity to care for Mr. Doyle at UNMH. In the emergency department, he was intubated. I'm sorry, I'm reading very fine print here. His head CT was negative for bleed and his lacerations were repaired. He was taken to the cath lab for coronary angiography. His coronary angios were clean, leading us to believe that his arrest was related to his hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. He was taken to the ICU and was extubated two days later, fully intact neuro neurologically. Thank God. Further testing showed that he will likely need surgery to repair an obstruction related to his hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Chris had an ICD placed in the cath lab yesterday, and he is being discharged home today. Everyone did an excellent job in saving this young man's life and getting him back to his wife and 18-month-old daughter. Nice job. So as you can tell, <laughs> I get choked up reading this letter. And in addition, we, me and this woman talked for a little while uh, on direct message. And she gave me the name and phone number of this guy, of the paramedic, of the firefighter paramedic that assisted in my cardiac arrest. Now, I don't know this guy's role in, uh, in saving my life. I don't know if he, if he was the one that actually put the pads on my chest. I don't know if he was doing CPR. I don't know if he was just standing there with his hands on his hips, but he was there. And I'm very curious and very nervous to talk to this guy. So uh, I plan on doing that in the future. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the, when you put the pads on someone's chest, that's the AED machine, and it, it sends an electric uh, shock through your heart to try to get it to start pumping again. Because when you go into cardiac arrest, your heart just kind of quivers there. It does not pump blood, but it just kind of quivers. And I was thinking, like, is this the guy that had to put you know, the pads on me? And everyone stands back, and then it sends this electricity through your body. I don't know how many tries that took, but I heard it took a long time. So they probably shot a lot of electricity through my body. 
I don't know exactly how many times, but the kink guy said it was about 15 minutes until they finally could like put me on the the stretcher and get me into the ambulance. So I just wanted to share that with you um, because I think I need to start taking a little bit more responsibility for uh, being an advocate for people learning CPR or maybe even advocating for, you know, uh, brands to start, you know, maybe putting an AED machine in the team van or something like that. Um, because, uh, I, like I said, I, th I think this might be something that I really need to start doing. If anyone has any good connections with the American Heart Association, I'm interested. But uh, I think this is kind of like my responsibility to start advocating for the usage of, uh, of AED machines or, uh, or for people, team managers primarily, learning uh, CPR and uh, basic life-saving techniques or basic first aid. Um, I think that's a role I need to kind of step into. Um, because otherwise, why did I go through this whole thing? If not to help educate other people on the severity of, uh, or, or on the importance of uh, basic first aid, basic CPR, and how to use an AED machine. So there's your, uh, uh, what's it called? Your, uh, your, your uh, what is it, a PSA announcement? I don't know what it's called. But um, yeah, so there's that. I'm going to end it with that. So I'm sorry to get emotional on you. And I'm sorry to... Uh, yeah, get choked up there, Anya. I know we're we're here to have fun. This is uh, a place for enjoyment and escapism, or whatever you want to call it, or whatever you uh, listen to podcasts for, a place just to zone out. But uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and uh, hopefully my next, uh, the next time you hear from me, next time I have a guest and I'm doing an interview, because I'm kind of sick of talking about myself and uh, random things that I think of throughout the day. So until then... Have a good one. Hang in there. Talk to you soon.